On this episode of the Austin Spotlight, I got the chance to sit down with Chris Fullerway. Chris is a tech employee here in Austin, like many other people. However, his love for animals spawned him to start Austin Farm Sanctuary, a small little farm that started in a half acre in his South Austin home and has grown to over 100 residents on a five acre track out by the airport. Hear more about his story in this coming interview. Hope you enjoy it and would love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast. And good morning, uh, everyone. This is Troy Schlicker with the Austin Spotlight. I am joined today by my guest, Chris Fullerwig. How's it going, Chris? Doing well. How are you doing, Troy? I'm doing well. Appreciate you taking the uh, time to, to sit down and, and chat. So it'll be, be, I think it'll be interesting, interesting combo because uh, you got some st- cool stuff going on over there. Thanks. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. Appreciate you having me. Appreciate it. Um, and so for everyone who doesn't know, uh, my name is Troy Schlicker. I uh, work for Reserve Realty, also the, also the host here of the Austin Spotlight. But um, I don't think anyone is really going to watch this today to, to hear about me at all. So why don't we go ahead and talk, talk about you, Chris? Uh, obviously, I've gotten to know you initially through beach volleyball and a few other things that way. But today we're kind of here to talk about a cool project um, I wouldn't even say a project, like a cool life that, that you guys have kind of got going on over there with the Austin Farm Sanctuary. So um, what to start off, though, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of background? How did you kind of what did you do prior to getting to Austin? How did you get to Austin? I know most of us are not native Austinites. And so I think it's always kind of interesting to see how people uh, ended up here. For sure. Yeah, I'm originally from Galveston, uh, Texas, Houston area. Um, what brought me to Austin was actually UT. So I went to college at University of Texas. And as I was looking for jobs kind of after the fact, did my best to, to stay around in Austin. Luckily, found a, found a job in consulting that kept me kept me in town. And that's actually where I, I still work today. Same place almost 10 years later. So, yeah, got the, got the come for the school and luckily found the job that landed me to get to stay here. Very nice. And that, like I say, that's also kind of rare to some degree to have a job where you're at. We're at the same at the same company for ten years is also kind of a uh, a rare thing from that standpoint. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a consulting company called Motive M O T I V, and yeah, we were small. They had moved from San Francisco the year before to kind of rebuild in Austin, and super grateful to have been kind of a part of our of our growth, and yeah, really be able to be there for as long as I have been. Nice. And if they've been here for now almost ten years, that's they're actually kind of like a long-standing tech company by the uh, standards we have today with all the companies moving uh, in the last year or two. Exactly. Yeah, we uh, they, we followed Oracle kind of years and years ago. And uh, yeah, I've kind of just been here and got, got stabilized before the fact. So that's been cool. So what do you do for them? Uh, so I'm the VP of services at Motive. So essentially, I lead the team of consultants, implementation people, uh, solution architects, project managers that actually run our projects. So we implement marketing automation and CRM systems for, you know, to keep it simple. Um, but really we, we roll out like SaaS, you know, software for both sales, marketing and service companies to, you know, improve the way they do business. So I, I oversee the team that actually gets stuff done for our customers. So uh, another Austin uh, techie, which uh, <laughs> not, not, not hard, not hard to find necessarily, but I feel like 
uh, what you do, again, whether you consider that on the side or maybe even your full-time jobs on the side, we won't tell motive of that, but uh, tell us a little bit about your Austin Farm Sanctuary, which is, I think, again, probably one of the coolest side gigs slash, you know, full-time gigs that any of the tech people probably are doing out there. <laughs> yeah, so Austin Farm Sanctuary, yeah, it is definitely my, my evening, after hours, and weekend kind of duty or depending on when the piglets wake up right now before work as well. So it kind of, yeah, bookends the day and then takes over the weekends. Um, but Austin Farm Sanctuary is a 501c3 nonprofit farm animal rescue uh, and sanctuary. So essentially what that means is we, you know, my wife and I started with rescuing dogs and cats. That was a part of the, the history that we kind of knew. Um, I can get into more detail on it if we want, but essentially stumbled upon two, go two goats that were in need stumbled on a pig that was in need from there. And that got the ball rolling about four years ago um, and really found kind of a passion and really just a, a part of, you know, kind of animal society that was just underserved being in farmed animals. Um, so really made that kind of our niche. We're now um, have just over a hundred full-time residents to get to live out their full lives here without any purpose or reason for humans except for for them to kind of be them we are here to serve them um and so yeah it's this is what we've we've kind of built you know really grassroots with a lot of friends like you that started from the volleyball community or from college and stuff and started kind of small and then the community over the last especially two years has really grown um and we've become something much bigger than i think we ever expected so right there so there's like you mentioned a lot more people that get involved with animal shelters when it comes to dogs cats especially puppies i know mm -hmm. uh i'll post uh for uh, like austin rescue or one of one of the shelters that was actually doing some free adoption stuff this past weekend even yeah. and so for a lot of people if that's their initiation or that's kind of where even their love of animals kind of resides you know staying with the with dogs and cats because that's kind of the most popular obviously from a house pet standpoint. So rescuing them or or provide, you know, being, being for there for them for a few months while they find permanent homes and stuff. How did you guys make a transition or, you know, again, you mentioned kind of finding the goats and a couple pigs. Mm -hmm. uh, I imagine that wasn't at the same shelter where you would have found a dog and dog and a cat. So how did that kind of transition happen? For sure. Yeah. So when we had first started, we were just like, yeah, other people that were adopting dogs and cats was kind of a thing being an actively kind of being a, a rescue or being a sanctuary for animals wasn't really on our radar. Um, yeah, I mentioned we knew somebody who knew somebody who had a goat farm. Um, two of the goats were no longer quote unquote, like of use to the dairy farm. So they, I mean, for farm animals, unfortunately, like when you're no longer of use, basically you're going to be killed and turned into meat. Um, we had just bought a half acre in South Austin. We were able to work with this person to be like, Oh, actually, if, you want we can you can surrender them to us we have we can basically add some goat dogs into our family um so it kind of started with that a little bit of a frankly a little bit of naivete and just kind of some openness to we have some space sure goats can kind of join us that opened our eyes for like the first time to really farmed animals at the time my wife and i were already uh, angel were already vegan so like that we had considered farm animals but never really figured a way we could kind of proactively help them just make sure that our lifestyle wasn't um, harming them. Um, so we found out about that goat, got us a call from our, a neighbor about a, two months later. It was like, hey, you like weird animals. I know about this pig that's gonna be killed tomorrow unless they find a home and that's Doya. 
um, who's still here. He's about 750 pounds, full size, living the dream. And that when we took in Doya, that was really the transition point to be like, okay, dogs and cats are pretty covered, especially in Austin with Austin Animal Center and Austin Pets Alive and all the wonderful dog and cat rescues. There's a, there's a need to help out uh, farm animals. And, you know, once you kind of open your mind to that, then the opportunities start to flow in. A lot of people start contacting about needing to rehome or you hear this story about this pig in this situation. So uh, back then, a lot of dots started connecting. We were actively kind of looking for animals to rescue. That's pivoted these days to we're large enough that people find us when when an animal is in danger. Nice. Yeah, and uh, like in a lot of things, once you start to really specialize in something, like it may seem like it's so such a niche that it's so small, but in reality, f- few people are usually doing it from that standpoint. So there's potentially a, a lot of need. Yeah, a lot of need. And we didn't realize that farm animal rescue was really a thing. And there's, I mean, we're just up the road, eight minutes away from Central Texas Pig Rescue, one of kind of like our partner sanctuaries and Dreamtime Sanctuary out in Elgin. You start to find like, wow, there's other people doing this. But the amount of farm animals that are in need way surpasses the amount of places that can kind of care for them. So yeah, that uh, it's pretty cool to know that that community existed, especially four years ago as we kind of launched into this, knowing that we weren't just going into unforeseen territory, at least as far as rescue goes. Um, it's been really cool to find that, find that network for sure. But then you find that there's still, there's still a big, really big gap on, on those that are available to help versus that those that are in need. Sure. The, so initially again, with the, with the two goats, you're going to, if you already have some dogs and cats, the goats probably seem like, Oh, they got four legs. They're about the same size. It shouldn't be too, too drastically different were there any kind of surprises early on um even with just the two of them that you're like okay this is going to be uh maybe a bit more challenging or just what kind of differences did you run into early on from that standpoint yeah that's a great question i think that you know we humans typically kind of see companion animals through a lens of a dog or a cat like we very much know how dogs and cats can operate Think about the like the method of like a dog super friendly wagging all over excited when you get home crawl in your lap or the stereotypical somewhat standoffish cat that has the people that they prefer and like kind of have that like we kind of understand and have those and obviously there's variations of how they can act but going into it was you know you kind of look at first at the goat like with a dog lens and like okay they do but but you realize that that lens is very fragmented you know like they're not going to wag their tail when they're happy they're going to do other things when they're happy they're going to come up and greet you and be interested in cuddles but not want the same kind of pets as a dog would so it was really just frankly relearning how to connect in a way that we have for so long with other companion animals and kind of understanding how these new residents that we were taking in like receive to and respond to love was like the most interesting thing because obviously we started to connect with them very deeply they became our children quite quickly and then it was like oh well how do we build this dynamic in this relationship so that was one of the things, but clearly the other part is the veterinary care all changed, the food that they were getting, you know, and they're not given, getting kibbles and bits, you know, there there's hay and alfalfa and feed and, you know, calling our local vet that used to see the pups about a goat wasn't going to happen. So finding out farm animal vets. And so it opened up a whole new spectrum of just like care that we hadn't really considered. Yeah. And so then with Doya being next was, um, was she a, how, how big was she? You mentioned 750 pounds now was, 
she close to full grown or kind of what size size was she or were, were you aware she was even going to get that big from that standpoint? Because again, right, being used to dogs and goats that are of this one size to go suddenly to a 750 pound pig is a bit of a, uh, a different. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So when we rescued Doya, um, he was rescued from FFA. So future farmers of America, that's where a number of our rescues have come from essentially student typically in high school goes through their program. They raise goat, pig, rabbit, kind of whatever the school is offering. Doya was raised at Bowie high school, which is crazy that Bowie high school in like South Austin, yeah. right off of Brody, like has a FFA program. Like where, what, what farmer kids do you have? But, um, so when we took in Doya, he was seven pounds or seven months old, um, 120 pounds and putting on about 10 pounds a week. So, yeah, he was, I mean, looking at it, I would consider him small, but if you think about like a 120 pound, two and a half foot tall animal, we were like, oh my gosh, this is the most massive thing ever, you know, size of a really, really large dog and getting big quickly um, with a very different, just, I wouldn't say temperament, uh, but just different personality, like the way that he kind of engages is just different than a dog. Sure. Um, so that was a, that was a big transition point because of just the he is not actively destructive, but when you're 120 pounds in a child and you become a 200 pound child and then a 250 pound child, it's like, oh, look at these cords attached to the house. Like, I wonder if they, if I can bite at them, you know, like those were different things. So we quickly learned fence building and like different infrastructure for larger animals. That was what Doya introduced us to. It was like, ah, got it. A dip, you've got to have a particular setup um, kind of for you. So but that was the that was the reason that was kind of the pivoting point is as we saw him and there was certain ways in which we were able to see him through the same lens that we saw dogs through. And then there was a part of Angela and myself being animal lovers, like this untapped, you know, we always considered ourselves animal lovers, but never really, but more of just kind of a blanket statement as opposed to actually understanding and like having love directly for a pig. Um, and that was something that kind of changed it when we were able to look him directly in the eye and, you know, he's got big old eyelashes and eyes just like a human. Like there's a lot of reasons why, I mean, unfortunately people test on pigs because they're so similar to humans. And so when you start to like lay down and your breaths get in sync and like all that, there was just a larger different level of connection that Doya was able to provide for us to just this type of animal that, you know, that, that initiated the, the whole next step um, for sure. You mentioned uh, you had, when you first started to take in uh, a few of the animals, you were living down in South Austin in about half acre, which again, most people in Austin would love to have a half acre, but I imagine with a 750, with a growing pig um, and a growing uh, animal family from that standpoint, that that uh, got to feel pretty small pretty quickly from, uh, from a living standpoint. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's September of uh, 2017, we bought the house in probably June of, I oh know, sorry, it's September of 2016, we bought the house. By about September of 2017, we were looking for the next place already. We're like, oh, okay, got it. That half acre is pretty full. At that point, we had had a couple more pigs that were like pot bellies that were smaller, um, some other goats and tortoise and chickens. And yeah, that backyard gaggle started to get pretty, pretty stacked up. So, and then, and we also knew that like a big part of what we wanted to do was not just experience these animals ourselves and save them. Like we wanted to be able to save more, you know, by being able, like if in, 
like right now we have a hundred residents, but ideally that's not the only lives we're saving. Ideally we're able to connect with people, share the stories of the residents we have and be able to save others kind of more indirectly um, by exposing that. So yeah, that backyard filled up pretty quickly and we saw an opportunity to, to grow, to save more lives, but also create a place where people can come and have tours and just connect in a different way. So that kind of started up the, the next phase. Yeah, and like you mentioned, I don't. It didn't sound like you were going into this place with the intention of anything other than, you know, some dog and cat rescues uh, here and there. So, yeah, not surprising that the place didn't. Once your objectives changed, that the place didn't necessarily meet what you were initially looking for. Yeah, yeah, I have a husky that has been with me, Van over here. He's been with me for about twelve years now. So he's, it was kind of a place for like, all right, time for Finn to finally have his big backyard for him to roam and kind of have to himself. He's, you know, and then that filled up with other animals. And so, yeah. Initially he's like, I love this place. I got it all to myself. And he's like, what is going on here? Like, yeah. Just, his area like, started awesome. getting smaller and smaller and started yeah. being shared with other creatures. So now he's got his space now that we've got this place carved out, but yeah, that it was, it was not the initial yeah, when we planned on the half acre, that was like, oh, the kids will have a big yard that they can play in and kind of all that. It was it was thinking about a 15-year plan for us, and that turned into a 15-month plan uh, pretty quickly. Very nice. So you mentioned, obviously, connecting with other sanctuaries, kind of trying to connect with the community uh, and, you know, bring awareness, get them involved. Uh, also, you know, again, by connecting with other sanctuaries and uh, being able to connect animals maybe you may not be the right home for some animals but you may know of other places too how has that kind of how did that those relationships kind of evolve yeah um those relationships evolved really kind of like organically as we started rescuing we started kind of looking up information and frankly on instagram started like seeing other rescues and sanctuaries kind of just in like search for it you know we hadn't really engaged in that and then reaching out to them a lot of times it'd be kind of like veterinary specific questions. There's not a whole lot of people that know how to care for a 300 pound pig that's growing, you know, then the only people that do know how to care for that are veterinarians. And this is no, no insult to like farm vets, but most of the time their intention is to support the agriculture industry. So talking to them about our pig has a runny nose or a limp or like this small cut or those things that people would care about for their dogs and cats isn't something that a typical farmer is calling on their vet for. So our original outreach to this community was in trying to kind of learn more about quality care, you know, a full term kind of life care for the residents, as opposed to something that more of our, that we were just getting kind of from local vets. So that opened that up and um, it really tapped into just, an incredibly connected network. You know, people have asked us before, like, oh, are, aren't they like your competition? You know, and it's like not how it works in nonprofit animal rescue. There's no shortage of people to support or animals to help. So you, we really picked up on that pretty quickly of everybody wants to bond together, share their information, do their best to make sure that we are empowered so that we can help, you know, be a part of the change. So that was, that was really cool that that just opened up to us so quickly. Yeah, like, I mean, hopefully most people in the nonprofit world, it's not really about competition. Obviously, there are sometimes limitations in donor dollars and some of those kind of things. But right, like if for some reason, if someone decided to provide way more money to someone else and they could help a whole lot more animals, it's still 
it's still um, clearing the objective of helping animals from from that standpoint. So even you know as much as you guys exactly. want to help and are doing amazing things too, like any dollar given to someone else or any animal that can be rescued by another sanctuary is still an animal that's going to be saved. Exactly. Yeah. One hundred percent. Our mission is to save farmed animals and be able to provide sanctuary to them. It is not to be the person like the leader or whatever of doing that. If we stayed the same size, but we're able to empower a hundred other sanctuaries to open, like that's exactly what we'd want to be able to do is create place where this can, you know, happen, you know, beyond um, what we're able to have the capacity to do. Nice. And so I've seen kind of lately, you guys have been taking in some animals from across the country, even uh, as well. Has that been something fairly new or have you guys been doing that for a while now as well? Yeah, it's been, um, sometimes it's new. It's kind of been a little bit more random, I guess you could say. Like there's, I mean, being in Texas, there's no shortage of farm animals. So like the the amount of animals that are um, at least in need of help here is high. We also have a different community and kind of culture where it is kind of in Austin with a little bit more of a kind of liberal, more open mindset in that way. Um, duration has kind of been paid for them. So my uh, screen just buffered. Did you lose me? Are we good? For a split second, you're back. But yeah, there's just yeah. just for a little bit. Cool. Yeah, but yeah, so we've taken in residents. So typically, we try to take them in locally to kind of help the community that we serve. But you know, there's um, chickens that I'm looking at outside that in 2019 came all the way from Brooklyn. They were part of like a mass sacrifice that's horrific that happens in the streets in Brooklyn every year um, in the fall. Um, and we're basically brought from Brooklyn to Colorado and dropped off at sanctuaries kind of along the way. Those that whose lives were spared or in last January of last year, we drove out to Arkansas because there was a couple of cows in need. And at this point, we kind of consider ourselves if it's Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, um, Arkansas, that's like our our corridor that we at yeah. least need to be able to play communication, if not be the person that takes them in. Nice. Yeah. Uh, for people that uh, have or are looking for more information and stuff too, why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about where to find more information about you guys uh, to, or just learn, learn more about. I know you guys do some tours and different things as well. For sure. Yeah. So our website, austinfarmsanctuary.org is a great place to go. Um, That's kind of going to be your one-stop shop. We've got a bookings page where you can schedule a tour. Um, Obviously COVID shifted the way in which many people kind of do business and kind of work with what we switched to and really have focused on is instead of, a bunch of large group events. We're doing a lot of private tours. So bookings of groups of one to four or five to eight, something like that. And come around a little over an hour, meet all of the residents, get to hear the story of the sanctuary, get to connect. I mean, that's the biggest thing is we want you to hear their stories. But the feeling that I had four years ago when I was able to lay down with and look Doya directly in the eyes to like see him truly for who he is versus the concept that I had had of a pig for the rest of kind of my life beforehand. Um, was really big. So yeah, coming out, doing a tour, there's a meet the residents page where all, almost all, we're still going to get the update, the website updated. 100 residents at the sanctuary have their own page. You can sponsor them, which is obviously, you know, big um, for us. If we have a resident that hopefully lives, a cow that lives 25 years, that's 25 years of making sure that they're kind of fed and cared for. So sponsorships is really big. Um, I would encourage people to follow us if they're Facebook or Instagram people. 
that's where you kind of get your daily digest of everything that's going on at the sanctuary. Um, you know, yesterday we took in a family of piglets. So learning about them, obviously enjoying the kind of cuteness of them all resting together. Um, we really try to be, we are an animal organization that's, you know, advocates for plant-based diets and veganism and things along those lines, but we try not to have it be, um, you know, like a, a page where people are kind of afraid of what they're going to see next. Um, if that makes sense. And so we really kind of keep it to the best things about animals and you'll certainly hear the stories and kind of where they come from, but on our Instagram and on our Facebook, we really like try to keep the forefront of here's the positive outcomes that we're able to create. If we give compassion, you know, show compassion and, you know, create kindness and bring kindness into our life. So yeah, checking out Instagram, Facebook, our website um, is certainly the way to go and come out, be a part of it. Cool. And so for all those, it is Austin Farm Sanctuary um, for the handles on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, did pop yep. them up here. And then austinfarmsanctuary.org, uh, which you very nicely reminded me before we got going here. Uh, for reaching out contact stuff, also, also is the email kind of the best way to do that or messaging through Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, email is great. That's the easiest to kind of keep it, you know, pushed into one queue. So info at austinfarmsanctuary.org as you've got here. Yeah, if you have questions, again, our website has the tours and a lot of that information. But um, one thing actually that it isn't on our website because we redid this kind of during COVID is volunteering. If you'd like to come out, we'd love to have you be a part of our team. Um, we do have, we're working on that page on our website, but um, a lot of things that people have been reaching out to now, now that a lot of groups are being vaccinated, stuff like that is doing group. Um, volunteer days. So if you're interested in having you, a couple of your friends, or, you know, maybe some people at work are looking to kind of reconnect to a team outing, uh, it's a great place to do it. Weather's warm, so it's nice and sunny, as well as, you know, you're going to be socially distanced and outside. So we've been able to kind of lean on that. It's a really safe way to connect kind of during this very, you know, unsafe time. Sure. You guys, uh, I don't think you guys currently do like live webcams or stuff uh, along those lines. I know like different like dog daycare places will do it or even some zoos will have some of those kind of things where it's like, oh, you know, just live web, live webcams to go in and kind of see what the different animals are doing for, uh, for the day. Yeah, we actually we have nest cams throughout most of the okay. property. And I just a couple of weeks ago found out kind of how to do that external sharing. So there's a okay. couple of we got some ideas on. Yeah, like right now we have the piglets living in the barn, like a piglet cam where people can you know, yeah, donate. Exactly. So yeah, we're, we're working on things like that. We had a chip cam that we were sharing a couple of weeks ago. Um, so yeah, different ways where we can make sure that people are able to able to connect and, and stay in, in the loop, but yeah, piglet cam to come. Nice. Very nice. What other, do you have any other big kind of projects or, or goals for the rest of the year? Uh, yeah. Yeah, great question. Um, so um, lo and behold, two years after being or two and a half years at this current property, we are now uh, reaching kind of capacity yet again, um, which is exciting, you know, like we, with that we both from like a standpoint have been able to take in so many rescues, but that our community has grown so much that we can actually sustain over 100 lives here. Um, and we've been doing fundraising since really November of last year, we kind of kicked it off to be purchasing new land. So our goal is to purchase 30 to 50 acres. We're currently at five. We start off on a half acre. So, you know, time just to go up by another couple hundred percent um, and find kind of the next place for the sanctuary. Uh, this place that we are right now, I'm, I'm at the sanctuary. My wife, Angela, and I kind of built it around our home. We're excited to kind of get the next place and have that be the sanctuary where 
a visitor center can be ideally we kind of put cabins on so people can kind of come and stay out there and that can be a fundraising opportunity for the sanctuary and then you know have 40 50 acres for all the residents to roam and open up capacity so right now that's kind of our biggest project we did a lot of fundraising for it and now have the down payment so we're kind of just waiting for the the perfect spot to to land um i imagine you can help me with that um and yeah, we're waiting for like this perfect spot to kind of hit us and then it will be infrastructure. Let's get the fencing and the barn and all of that kind of stuff to really turn it to, you know, being a, an open spot that we've now claimed to, you know, the sanctuary. So that's top of mind while keeping everybody happy, healthy and home here um, as we continue to kind of grow in that capacity. That's awesome. Yeah. As, as a realtor, I always kind of tell people like when they if they're moving to Texas or upsizing and like, Oh, wow, this home has so much space. I don't know if I'll ever be able to fill it. I'm like, if you buy it, you will fill it. And so that's kind of, kind of sounds like the same thing for you guys. Like, Oh, we just went from half an acre to five acres. Like, this is amazing. There's just so much open space, but it it fills up much quicker than you think. Absolutely. Uh, it does. I'm sure 30 to 50 acres will eventually fill up a lot quicker than they will that way too. Uh, I know in the, um, for the, when I had scheduled the live, I put down a was able to put down a, a link for potential donations. Hopefully, when the live um, gets posted, I can do that same thing as well too, so that anyone who awesome. would like to uh, donate can can just do it very easily through Facebook um, that way. So hopefully that'll help every again every little bit I know makes it. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, like I mentioned, there is always unexpected. You know, we have our budget and we're able to at least like kind of know what the current residents will take, but somebody could get sick. Five piglets could show up at your door on Sunday like they did, you know, or like this weekend. And so always making sure that we are fundraising, kind of making sure that we never have to say no. You know, the biggest position we never want to have to be in is, you know, is we can't take them in either financially or we don't have the volunteers or we don't have the space. Uh, we never, the residents that we take in or the potential residents have already gone through so much. If there's if there's an opportunity for them to be saved, we want to make sure that we're able to, you know, answer that call. So yeah, you've got our website there, austinfarmsanctuary.org, big old donate button at the very top, right? Um, everything goes directly into helping, you know, save lives. So thank you for for sharing that. For sure. So uh, is there any point in time when this, the uh, side project, quote unquote, uh, becomes the full-time, full-time gig for you? Yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, I'm working we work up really hard to kind of build up the rest of our volunteer group um, so that I'm able to continue doing the job that I do at Motive while, you know, empowering and kind of building the sanctuary and ideally allowing other folks to kind of run that until one day, you know, I'm able to kind of transition over. Right now, it's uh, it's making sure I can allow for others to kind of push for the sanctuary and I can, I can work behind the scenes or after work or whatever to facilitate all that. But yeah, I mean, our volunteer thing, it was you can imagine it took quite a hit during COVID volunteering, which is like, Oh yeah, we don't want people coming out here. Y'all don't want to come out here. You know? So that was like kind of on pause from, you know, March until December really. But then um, we have a live in volunteer that actually stays on, lives on the property and is able to help coordinate so much. And so the volunteer staff has really come through super heavily in the last couple of months. And, made the ability to grow without me overextending myself, which is, it has been in the past, um, be an opportunity and allow for the community that really is the the reason for this place to be able to kind of support the sanctuary beyond the fuller wigs. That's awesome. And it probably has actually been helpful in your growth. I mean, one, obviously having a full-time job that you can get paid from is a nice thing, but also yep. 
being forced to delegate a lot of the work and stuff out because for a lot of new companies or small businesses, the person that owns it and runs it is usually trying to do everything. And I feel like in a lot of cases, they don't grow as fast because there's only so much they can do. But by being kind of forced to delegate out volunteer work to other people, it's probably allowed you to expand faster exactly. than you had and immediately quit your job and tried to do it full time from that standpoint. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know you mentioned, I mean, like the, yeah, I think that there's a, you know, 20 years ago, the guidance would have been quit your day job and go chase your dream. And, but I, you know, but I think it's like the day job actually allowed for the dream to happen. It bought the first home, it bought this property. It's like, it's yeah. been the thing that's actually been the rock that's allowed for me to, I can actually take more risk because we have sure. a backing as opposed to who it all rides yeah. on this. It's like, no, we're, we're, we got it. And so, yeah, I'm like you mentioned, and it, the work that I've done with Moda has been invaluable. It's turned out to start a sanctuary as far as establishing our donor base and building out our CRM system and our accounting tools and like all of those things, like the business experience that I have has been um, shockingly um, valuable as this kind of came to came into play as well. And then, you know, on top of that, making sure that, you know, delegating and like managing people. I currently at Motive have a staff of 24 people that I work with. So it's like, oh, great. Let's figure out how to manage volunteers and kind of work with that. So learn so many lessons and I'm going to continue to be growing in both areas and making sure I can kind of capitalize wins in one place and see how we can put that into, into work in another. That's awesome. You mentioned yeah. COVID obviously impacting the amount of volunteers, probably impacting donations because people didn't know what their jobs would be like if they have uh, the finances to do different things. Uh, how, ha how has it impacted any of the animals, right? So again, as someone who knows enough about COVID enough from a human standpoint, but I don't have any pets of my own, but I know in a little bit of stuff that I've seen here or there that there are some Trans potential transmissions between human and animal um, mm -hmm. of COVID is that something that is po you know is possible in any of the animals you guys had some another consideration. Great question. It was something we considered super like early on. Obviously, just like okay, zoonotic. Like we don't want to get our residents sick. We don't want them to maybe not get sick, but be able to kind of carry and then give it to a volunteer that comes out. Pretty early on, like we were able to feel comfortable that that wasn't going to be the situation just after some studies and talking to other sanctuaries and just so we weren't really at like concerned about giving them to our residents or transmitting and having our residents give them elsewhere. So that was really nice to kind of have that, have that question answered pretty soon in the pandemic. So like our mask policy and whatnot with the animals was able to be removed, but there was a lot of obviously like working together, a lot of humans to kind of make all this happened that that was our main concern. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah um, it's again, the last year has been a learning experience and educational experience for everyone for sure. 100%. Yeah. And one of the things, I mean, just on the note with COVID, one thing that's been really interesting and I mean, always it's in these, in these times, it's all about seeing, okay, finding the obstacle, how do I make this an opportunity? And it's safe to say that the last, you know, 14 months have been one major obstacle after another. Um, but the opportunity that came out of that is, you know, Motive now works remotely. We're a remote first company. We still have our office, so we can now start going in. But it, that's two hours, you know, one hour to and one hour from every day that I'm no longer kind of doing that. So it allows me to put an extra work at Motive, but also kind of be here for, you know, morning rounds or kind of supporting those things. So there's been two hours of kind of excellence time every day that's been able to be injected into the sanctuary that 
previously has been drive time and then too tired from driving and work to kind of get things done. So that's been, that's been really nice. Cause I'll just say from a personal level, as we grow and then we have like the work, like it was, okay, I can either go fundraise to make sure we're supporting the animals or I can go spend an hour walking the property and kind of connecting, which was the reason why we started is because I made that connection. But that's something that as you kind of get moving, it gets a little lost because, okay, I don't have as much time to do that because I have to care for all of you all in different ways. Okay. So having that time back, having the, a little bit of like the, the forced, you know, stay at home, especially yeah. like it wasn't the worst place to kind of get locked down. And that was allowed for me to connect with the residents in a whole different way that kind of invigorated the sanctuary versus, uh, you know, hampered it, which was really surprising. I wasn't expecting that to be the outcome, but it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of supercharged the sanctuary because of different perspectives and just mindfulness we were able to take in, in the time. Yeah. As, as the organization gets larger and larger and you're managing that, it's, unfortunately less time boots on the ground exactly yeah yeah which you know and that's that is something that i'm I'm working to come to terms with but again trying to make sure there's there's a balance of making sure i don't step too far away because it is also what fuels me i mean i am super passionate about saving animals and they and there's that comes from a number of different places but being able to like i mentioned buddy who's a blind goat that we took in when he was a couple of weeks old that you know sees me as his dad, mom, best friend kind of all rolled into one, like having that connection is inspires me to kind of come back in and work to do the next big thing that's going to grow for us. So yeah, kind of making sure that I don't, I don't lose myself in the, in the growth experience and get out there and connect as a, is something I need to have written on my wall. Very nice. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to chat with me. I know again, between the farm and the uh, day job, you got plenty of stuff going on uh, over there. Yeah. So really appreciate it. Absolutely, but I'm very grateful to chat. I really appreciate this, Troy. And I think it's yeah, I think it's super cool. I've been seeing. I think you you started this pretty early on in in COVID, right? I did, yeah. So it yeah. was again kind of a way to network and meet, and meet people. And again, I find the stories behind uh, a lot of the companies and, and people that I network with to be really interesting. And so it's a way to kind of yeah. promote promote that and promote them. So glad for happy sure. to be here. Let's say definitely go check out the AustinFarmSanctuary.org and uh, learn some more and. And nothing else, you can like some cute pictures on Instagram and Facebook. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Troy. I think it's super cool that you're doing this, both from I think it's genius for just yourself and building up that networking, but I think it's really cool that to to give the opportunity for folks like me, other businesses, other nonprofits, just to have a space to kind of speak. Cause obviously we get our we get our kind of stripe of the beach ball, our own little niche to speak to yep. and to be able to talk to others that are in a different um might not have picked up on hashtag ATX, ATX vegan, you know, if that, if that didn't fall into. So I'm really glad. I hope I appreciate you kind of opening up our, our scope here. Yep. No problem. Well, thanks everyone for joining. Uh, you guys have a great day. Thanks all.